Welcome to the Changing State of Talent Acquisition, where your hosts, Graham Thornton and Martin Pred, share their unfiltered takes on what's happening in the world of talent acquisition today. Each week brings new guests who share their stories on the tools, trends, and technologies currently impacting the changing state of talent acquisition. Have feedback or want to join the show? Head on over to changestate.io. And now, on to this week's episode. And we're back with another episode of the Changing State of Talent Acquisition podcast. Super excited for our next guest, Rachel Goley, the Director of Talent Acquisition Operations at FanDuel. Rachel, welcome to the show. Uh, We'd love to kick things off by having you share your career journey and the path that led you to your current role over at FanDuel. Yeah, of course. So uh, maybe have a little bit of a different way that I got here. I dropped out of college after about three years, uh, mostly because I was running out of money. And I started working in a gym, selling gym memberships and worked a couple of bartending jobs on the side. And it was 2007, 2008 time. So maybe not the most ideal time to not have a plan, but I was going with it. So at that time, I kind of thought I'd have to go back to school if I ever wanted a quote unquote professional job. And I'm certainly not discounting the value of education or anything. Um, Really just acknowledging that it's pretty cool that companies have become more flexible, you know, because talent can come from a lot of different kinds of backgrounds. So I randomly fell into recruiting after working those jobs for a few years and got my first staffing job off of a Craigslist ad. Actually went on to get fired from not only that job, but the next recruiting job I got to. So clearly uh, the adjustment into my professional role was a little bit rocky. But then I found my next position with a wonderful RPO and went on to get promoted six times in four years with them. So third time's a charm. And that role was kind of the on-ramp, if you will, into kind of recruiting operations. It was about 2014 timeframe. So recruiting operations, to my knowledge, wasn't really like its own position at most companies. So you'd manage recruiting teams and then kind of do recruiting operations activities off the side of your desk. That role was pretty cool because I was about the 100th employee and that they were joining pretty rapidly. And um, I had the opportunity to kind of just see an opportunity to train people or put processes into place or bring in new technology. So it's kind of doing the recruiting operations role and uh, really enjoyed it. I ended up getting recruited after about five years there to a brand new TA ops role. And that was kind of a dream to work like solely on recruiting operations and kind of supporting recruiting teams. And then I'm in a pretty similar position now with a very different company um, and can truly say that all of my days are very different. So I work on projects uh, from data and reporting to technology, process design, and then all of the exciting ad hoc projects that are HRTA related that you can think of. Wow. Well, that's I didn't, I've known you for a while, Rachel. I didn't know that backstory. So that's super interesting to hear. I kind of want to ask a follow-up question about that. So you, you yeah. said you got fired from your... First two recruiting roles, and you you still weren't discouraged. What was it that kept you interested in this industry? To be honest, uh, I just think timing-wise, I didn't really have any other skills, and I saw this as my professional in. Um, so it was either make it work or go back to, to bartending and selling gym memberships or go back to college. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. Now I get that. Uh, it's funny how decisions that we make when we're – in our early 20s can end up sending us down a path that really defines our career for 20 years. Yep, definitely. Yeah, certainly is the case with me, but you know, it works out somehow. All right, well, we're really thrilled to have you here. There's a lot of different topics I I know we want to hit on today, but I think the first one is on the topic of organizational culture. 
you know, uh, lots of organizations pay lip service to having um, a culture or having core values or core principles that um, supposedly inform how the company shows up in the world. Um, I think we've all been around companies that it's really just something that they say they do, but it doesn't actually inform how they actually go about conducting business. And, um, you know, you and I obviously had some conversations offline, but it seems like at FanDuel, this is one of the outliers in, in the sense that you have core values that actually are present in the everyday running of the business. And um, not just in terms of product design or some of those areas, but also in recruiting, which I think is awesome. And it's not something you see all that often. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that. You know, what are the principles or values of FanDuel? And how does it inform your job in a daily kind of day-to-day way? Yeah, of course. And you're totally right. I think at most every company I've worked at, um, you know, wonderful companies, but we talk about the principles and then they're kind of something uh, that you might not talk about again. Uh, and sometimes you get asked about them and you have to go look them up. But that is not the case here at FanDuel. Um, the culture here is definitely unique, uh, you know, very close-knit bunch of people that is truly truly and fully committed to uh, our core principles. So like I said, I've never worked anywhere else where kind of the core principles are part of everyday meetings and you'll walk by someone and hear like, a, I'm assuming positive intent. And you're like, okay, I hope that works out <laughs> in that conversation. But it's it's really cool. Um, I think it uh, provides a framework for decision making at really every level. Uh, we have a lot of core principles. So We've got 10 of them, and uh, we're in a pretty cool business in sports betting, and it gets really competitive. So we're always talking about what our competitors are doing in the market, and you'll log on to Slack and see, like, stay humble, stay hungry. Uh, So they are there every day on Slack and conversations. They're on the walls in our offices, um, and I truly feel them. So I'd say what I uh, probably lean into most for recruiting operations is uh, we've got one simpler is always better. And we've got another one that says, uh, we say thank you. So recruiting operations comes with a lot of change management, you know, particularly in this role. I think uh, when I started, even just 14 months ago, we were a much smaller company. So even though FanDuel has been around since 2009, the majority of the growth has happened in the, the past few years. So it was kind of like wild, wild west um, stage of like everyone could go hire who they needed to hire. Um, you know, we hadn't really established processes. There were a lot of things being manually tracked in spreadsheets, which I know still happens at other companies. But um there has been a significant amount of change that this team has gone through in the last 14, 12, 14 months. And, uh, you know, you don't get through that kind of transformation, I don't think, without keeping things simple for people. And then also, um, you know, you've got to rely on a lot of people to get things done. So you've got to call in favors. Uh, you've got to, you know, you'd probably burn bridges pretty quickly if you didn't stop and acknowledge people for their effort and say thank you. Yeah, I think this is great, Rachel. And, you know, I've already taken, you know, as, as Marty knows, a lot of notes. So I love this concept of first in recruiting in HR saying thank you. Boy, I think that there's a lot of organizations where that might not feel like the case. You know, and this idea of, you know, hey, like, like simpler is often better, right? Sure. Like we probably don't want to live in spreadsheets, but yeah, we know a lot of clients or a handful of clients where, hey, like that falls very much into the simpler is better mantra too. Yeah. I think there's another piece that, you know, you and I have talked a little bit more about with FanDuel, and that's this concept of product development frameworks and using product development frameworks to shape 
talent acquisition. So you've talked about this. It feels like a bit of a novel approach to scaling TA. So, you know, maybe to those that are unfamiliar, can you describe a little bit more of what you mean by, you know, what a product development framework looks like and, you know, how you kind of take that mindset to, you know, create recruiting functions at scale? Yeah, of course. And I want to be clear, I have absolutely no real product experience. So I'm sure you might get a slightly different answer depending on who you ask. But when we talked about kind of... uh, product development steps here at FanDuel when I first started. It was kind of like a light bulb turned on. And I was thinking about all of my experience in the past and kind of how I had had this approach all along without really knowing. So, um, you know, product development steps might look something like ideation, research, design, test, analyze, produce, measure, iterate, etc. I think this approach could probably be used successfully to approach a wide variety of things, but it's helped me tremendously. Um, in staying organized and, you know, remembering all of the important things that go into change management and implementing new systems, um, you know, bringing people along who maybe aren't analysts or uh, into reporting, into on the reporting journey and those types of things. So when I first came in, I mentioned that uh, the team was much smaller, not necessarily the recruiting team, but our, our headcount number was much smaller. So we've done a lot of uh, hiring and all of the systems that we had, um, you know, were, were great probably for a point in time when the company was growing and we had kind of outgrown them. So there was a lot of like listening to people and researching um, to gain context. Uh, and then, of course, in the spirit of being competitive, you always want to research what your competitors are doing so you can, um, you know, make sure that you're staying uh, on par, at least with with market trends. But when you think about design, I think it's really helpful for teams to visualize like what change could look like for them and how it would benefit them, uh, especially recruiters. Um, when you're coming in to try to change their day-to-day, uh, I think you have to show the benefit of why they would want to, to change the way they're operating. Um, so kind of following these steps has been really helpful, I'd, I'd say, most importantly, in bringing everybody along on the journey, but like being successful with this change. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, I hear, you know, you're talking about you know, like listening to, I would imagine your internal stakeholders and, you know, figuring out like, hey, like, how do you test a product and, you know, move from testing to a product and developing a solution and showing your internal stakeholders what, you know, what a return is going to look like of a new, you know, tool or, you know, new process. I'm curious, and this is your question, maybe you don't have an example offhand, but, you know, is there an example maybe within, you know, FanDuel or another, you know, org where you know, you've kind of taken an approach of, hey, like, we've done the listing, we, you know, went out and, you know, saw what some of our competitors were doing, and we made this change, you know, and this is the impact it has, like, you know, it sounds like, you know, exactly what <laughs> on the consumer product side, a lot of organizations are doing, but I don't think, you know, we hear a lot of examples like that within recruiting. So, you know, is, is, is there anything that stands out for like, hey, I remember when we did this at FanDuel without, you know, giving too many secrets away? Yeah, um, I think I can speak generally. Uh, I, we might talk about AI later, but uh, last year, it seems like that was the overwhelming theme, uh, at least at most events and conferences and uh, chats that, that I attended. And I think that really was like the foundation of thinking about our change, like, AI is not going away and it's a hot topic. And I think that um, there are a lot of opportunities to look at the day-to-day of recruiters and look at your processes and technology and how everything's working and kind of just figure out 
what might be able to be taken off of people's plates. So a lot of the change that happened last year was around like automation and simplifying things and leveraging technology to our benefit to uh, decrease manual effort. And quite honestly, that was a pretty easy sell to to the team. Um, Might not always be, but we were able to save a significant amount of like manual labor hours per day from our TA coordinators by switching out technology that was maybe best for us, um, you know, due to our, the point in time we are with our business and our size. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think one of the challenges, I'm sure this isn't unique just to TA, is that you have people in leadership positions that are making decisions about, say, technology, or we're going to revamp this process. This is how we're going to approach things. And the people that are actually the boots on the ground can be a little bit cynical about it because they think, you know, these people have no idea what my day-to-day life is like. Why are they making these recommendations? And it seems to me that if you take this iterative approach that you're describing that's actually has roots in product development – it would be easier, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it would just, you'd buy some credibility with some of these folks that are actually doing the work and pushing the buttons because almost baked into this idea of iterative learning is that we're not going to get it right the first time. So you're kind of coming into it with uh, um, some humility and saying, here's what we're going to try, here's what we learned, uh, and we're going to try this now because we learned something. And I think it just changes the conversation away from here are the best practices that have been Uh, put out from on high to, hey, we're all in this together. I don't have all the answers. We're going to let data guide us. This is what we tried, and this is what we're going to do next. Um, Is that what you're seeing? Is that a kind of a fair way of describing it? Yeah, 100%. I feel like you put it better than I did, but you're right. Um, You know, most of what I've done here has been with that approach of I want to understand what the pain points are in our day-to-day or where we could save time let me go find some solutions and put them together and have this be a conversation where we make this decision together. So um, I agree with you that, uh, you know, what looks good on paper might not be the best solution for the people who are boots on the ground doing the work. Um, So I think like having almost like a whiteboarding session of here are our potential solutions and what is the impact going to be on your day to day and talking that through before making changes. You're also right. Like when um, you're in a role like mine, a lot of what you're implementing or proposing is new. Uh, So not every new thing that you try is going to work out. Some things are going to fail and that does, um, you know, help with humility. (laughs) And it, it, I don't, I, I don't know if it helps build credibility, but in a way it helps with relationships um, and, you know, people's willingness to, to see that you are uh, trying new things. I think that maybe brings their guard down a little bit and um, like builds confidence that you have their best interests in mind. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, I, I'm relatively new to the industry, although I guess it's been five years now. I can't quite say that anymore. <laughs> but like what, one of the surprises was, you know, you can come up with a great strategy. This is how we're going to approach recruiting. Here are the steps involved. Here's the best practice for how to move candidates through this tool, et cetera. And you have these great conversations with leadership and, you know, you feel like this is going to be amazing. Um, and then you actually roll it out to recruiters and they're just, they're not going to do it that way, you know? And um, so I think the earlier that you can get, get those people that are actually doing the work involved, providing feedback and understanding that, uh, they know best in some way, well, the more likely you're going to find some success. So I think that's really cool. And I, I don't think it's a little bit counterintuitive. You know, when I first thought about this idea of product design frameworks or product development frameworks, just like, 
how in the hell is this going to tie into recruiting? But I think it's awesome what you're doing, and it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I do want to pivot just a little bit. Um, you know, reporting, analytics, data, this is near and dear to our hearts at Change State. We spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I think one of the perennial questions that keeps coming up as we help our clients is data is super important. And yet, TA, and maybe more broadly, HR, is not generally known for attracting uh, people who are used to making decisions based on data. I think that might be a polite way of saying it. In other words, you hear a lot of people in HR that are quote-unquote people people, and when they say that with quotes around it, what they're really meaning is that they're not necessarily heavy on math or analytics or data. And yet, I think data is, of course, very important, and it's going to only become increasingly important as we look to this AI-powered future. So I'm wondering if you could just you know, share a little bit about your experience at FanDuel. Uh, I'm sure you've encountered some of these people-people folks who don't necessarily think in terms of spreadsheets and numbers. And how do you kind of bring them along for the ride? How do you empower you know, these non-data people to actually use data and get the most out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is very top of mind for me. When I, so I started here at end of 2022. And sorry, I had to think about years, you know, <laughs> in January, yeah. but end of 2022. And early 2023, so I think it was maybe February of last year, uh, our executive team asked um, us to put together somewhat of like an operational review. And it was a, a senior HR leader and my boss and myself and we had some very late nights uh, trying to figure out how to put this together because we uh, you know, had to figure out where to find the data. And then we had to analyze and we had to kind of figure out, um, are we confident in this data? What is the story we want to tell? And kind of everyone's very receptive, uh, which is a really cool thing. But I think that kickoff call kind of set the foundation, um, maybe the theme for the year, maybe foundation isn't the, the right word, but the theme of like, okay, we need to be making more decisions with data and we need to be looking at this more often. Um, you know me and you know that I am big on data and facts and analyzing everything. And I would love someone to download a file of any kind of data and I'd just like to go look at it. And maybe that's a story for another day, but um, not everybody is like that. No, not everybody is an analyst. Um, you know, we use uh, greenhouses and ATS and there are pre-built reports in there. And i I'm willing to bet that some recruiters hadn't even gone into the pre-built reports and clicked on them before. So you're absolutely right. It is a journey in bringing people along and we've come a long way. I think part of it is that, you know, the rest of our business is making a lot of decisions based on data. So I think in people talking to people off the people team, like they're hearing about data and reporting and, and kind of what they're doing in their day to day. But with our team, it's just been a lot of showing, um, you know, people, how they can use data and um, getting them to think about who they're sending data to and what they should be getting from it uh, and what, uh, you know, the actions the receiving person should be taking from the data that they're sending. So it's been, you know, kind of a lot of informing people on what they could accomplish by using it. I give this example a couple of times. So we do have some people on our team that are really good at leading with data, but some people are, it's, it's new and it's a new muscle that they have to flex. So in trying to position our recruiters in the best way to show up well and make them look good and, uh, you know, have them build confidence with their hiring managers and show up prepared. You know, we use this example of like, if you show up to a kickoff call and you're, 
ready with your pen to take notes and ask all of the questions about what you need to hire, that's fine. You know, that probably happens a lot of places. But if you show up and you talk about, uh, you know, last time we filled this position, this is how many people you talk to. This is, is that good? Is that bad? Here's the market research. Here's the available talent pool. Like, Already, those small little changes at the beginning of a conversation can make a big impact. And I think that builds confidence for the recruiters. They feel good about showing up well and being prepared. It helps kick off their search, um, helps build um, confidence with their hiring teams as well. So uh, we might talk about this later, but we've also put in a significant amount of effort to automate where possible reporting so that recruiters can easily send it on without having to dread like getting into reports or manually pulling things or things like that. Yeah, Rachel, obviously, you know, you know that I love that. Uh, you know, there's a couple bullets and I'm going to, you know, lead us into a question I think will tie this together. We used to talk a lot. First of all, I think it's on some level, people are skate recruiters, you know, internal folks are probably scared of that because, you know, a lot of organizations go a while without even setting benchmarks. And I think what's great about your story at FanDuel is I think you had a very receptive, you know, leadership team that, like, hey, recognize that, hey, you know, 2022, 2023, you know, the years are fuzzy. You had to set the benchmark first. You had to, you know, be able to admit that, hey, like, this is the first time that we're doing a full business review. And, you know, that's something that is just intimidating in and of itself, right? Like a lot of organizations, you know, don't necessarily admit that they don't know where they're starting from. And I think if you're, you know, at a spot where, you know, you, you do have the ability to take a step back and say, hey, wait, you know, we don't know what our metrics are. You know, we don't know what, you know, our funnel metrics are for, you know, applicants to hires. You know, it's a great starting point to be at. And, you know, obviously super thrilled that you know, you've taken those steps forward. I think, you know, the other piece there is, you know, we used to use the phrase a lot in a past life, you know, with recruiting teammates, you know, with everyone, you really need to figure out a way to, you know, to quote unquote, spoon feed people the value, right? And so it's near and dear to my heart. So when you talk about automating pieces for people that bring to an intake process, because it is difficult if it's an extra step for recruiters to go in and, you know, download their, you know, the last five times that they filled a sales engineer role, how many applications they got, or like, Hey, like, where are, you know, what are the competitors? You know, who are the competitors in this space? Like, how does our salary stack up? So the more you can, you know, spoon feed the value or automate these processes, you know, the more likely it is to, you know, get stickier with recruiters and your internal team. So obviously I love that story. Um, now I do have a question though, too. So I think that kind of brings us a good, you know, to do a really good, you know, conversation. And that's, you talk a lot about this concept of recruiter enablement. And I think a lot of what you've been building you know, really falls under this bucket of what, you know, we would consider recruit, you know, recruiter enablement. So, you know, maybe, you know, I'll ask you, can you define, you know, in your eyes, you know, what is recruiter enablement? And so, you know, why is, you know, that concept of recruiter enablement so critical for the future of any, any business? Yeah. Um, I think simply, I would put it as putting recruiters in the best possible position to be successful, uh, you know, setting them up with the tools that they need, uh, setting them up with the training that they need, uh, and support and coaching. And, you know, ideally, you wouldn't want to have any recruiters on your team that don't know where to go to find the answer to something that they need. So I think about, I want to go back real quick to like recruiters and reporting. I think that because I used to be a recruiter once. And even though I like reporting, putting together 
hiring manager reports took up the majority of my Friday and it was very manual and I would dread it. And Friday's a day you shouldn't dread. So, uh, you know, it doesn't even matter if you like reporting or not. If you can look at the full day-to-day process for a recruiter and look at some of those repeatable things and, um, you know, kind of understand what they dread maybe um, and then try to take that away so that they can focus on what they do best on like the the proactive activities on uh, providing a stellar candidate experience, uh, those types of things on sharing extra insights and following up on things. Like I think that is what I would consider recruiter enablement. I would be, um, you know, setting them up to be successful and happy. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really heard that term before for someone like say someone is coming into a role like you came into a year ago and doesn't, hasn't even heard of the idea of recruiter enablement what advice would you give them to think about enabling their recruiters? Like, what are the first steps? How do people get started with this? That is a good question. I think it probably starts with, I mean, whether you call it that or not, it probably starts with learning about your recruiting team, like learning about their day-to-day, their pain points. And then I think part of recruiting operations generally is trying to make things as as, uh, as good as possible for your recruiters, right? Like make their job as easy as possible and that happens through technology it happens through reporting and then when I think of even my buckets of work I think of like reporting technology recruiter enablement like that's its own bucket of work yeah well I mean it's good to see I think um, more organizations should be following that because it it always one of the surprises for me in this industry has always been how important recruiters are and how they're treated and compensated it's just like there's a huge huge mismatch there I understand we're not necessarily going to be paying six-figure salaries to recruiters, but you're literally charged with finding the right people to execute on the value proposition of the company. You know, like there's not a lot of roles in an organization that are more important than that. So I really love this concept, um, and hope to see other organizations uh, following that path. I guess I've never really thought of it as being like a different approach, but you're right. I, I never uh, would have thought about like how are we paying recruiters or like you know, anything like that. But in in the spirit of recruiter enablement, like I do think about like, what could make the recruiter's life easier? Like that is a constant question in my mind. And, you know, I, I think really about like, how can we make them look good? Because that's part of it, part of keeping your recruiters happy. How do we make them successful? That keeps them happy as well. But then happy employees also can perform well too, right? So that's yeah. interesting that you asked that question. I, I just hadn't thought of that. Before. Well, I mean, look at your your own personal career trajectory. This, I mean, I don't know the full story, but it sounds like you were just like, ah, I'm aimless. I'm gonna let's do recruiting. You know, like in, yeah. in a lot of organizations, it's like it's almost treated like a clerical position, uh, and certainly there is a lot of admins type work to that position. But if you step back and think about what is the deliverable of this position and how important is it to the organization? Like it's super important. Uh, We should be treating these people well, Uh, not just with compensation, but like, yeah, there should be um, somebody whose job it is to think about how to make their lives easier. So that's what I really love about uh, this idea of recruiter enablement. Thank you. All right. Well, Graham, I don't know if you want me to steal this last one or not, but you know, AI is everyone's favorite buzzword. It's funny what you were saying earlier. I feel like it's been the, buzzword of the year for the last five years at least if you if you judge by uh hr tech or any of those kind of uh happenings but 
clearly last year something changed, I think. You know, I think we're all familiar with chat GPT. We were all kind of surprised by how, uh, at least I was, how sophisticated some of these uh, generative AI tools are. And, you know, if in, say, 2022, AI just was like a marketing buzzword that you put on your website to make it seem like you're on the cutting edge, but it doesn't really have any teeth to it, you know, or like it doesn't actually mean a lot. Now, I think we're starting to, the, the culture at large is starting to understand what AI actually could be. You've got these chatbot type interfaces that can respond in ways that are pretty amazing. They can, you know, you know, take data from lots of different sources, tell a coherent, a coherent story, help you make decisions. So like, I think it's just become a lot more real in the last year. And I'm curious um, if you're leveraging AI currently in your current role, or maybe if not, what do you see coming down the road? Like, how do you think this might change the way uh, recruiters do their jobs or TA teams approach uh, the challenges that they face? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've seen even like AI that talks to you and you can interrupt it and it like comes back. It's wild. Um, We're not using anything like that here, but it's very impressive. I'm super into AI. I think that so far in my everyday life, my work life, like even uh, with things like chat GPT, like I'll ask questions. Uh, You probably don't want to know the questions I'm asking, but even things like (laughs) more effective meetings, like very basic things, like how can I have better meetings? How can I use my time better? Things like that. Um, So you you can ask anything, right? Uh, I know some people like to generate like images of their dog climbing the Empire State Building. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I tried to, yeah, I wanted chat GPT to draw a tattoo of my dog for me yesterday that's not uh that's, that's really good that's really good it wasn't a good photo though so oh, okay. <laughs> i wish that it was maybe you have some people adjusting but anyway um so we're thinking of it as like how sometimes you hit like a roadblock and maybe you just want some ideas to get uh you know the ideas flowing or whatever. So we've used it a lot like that, like particularly when we have to create a deck or we need to create an outline for something or we're coming up for a solution or brainstorming. Um, So as a team, like we're not using it necessarily to replace any of the work that we're doing, but it's certainly a helpful aid and can kind of jumpstart the creative process on things. We are, uh, you know, have some new technology on the radar, recruiting technology that leverages AI for like um, helping with candidate outreach messages. And so, on and so forth that we're um, implementing very soon. Like next, we had a kickoff call today, actually. But um, so we're thinking about it from that point of view. And then uh, with automation, uh, I'm going to talk about real quick. We're very fortunate to have an RPA team here, uh, robotics process automation team. So I had mentioned this briefly before, but things that take up a lot of time that are repeatable coming from a system like hiring manager weekly reports or monthly stakeholder reports, we've leveraged this team to automate those. So it completely saves recruiters Fridays. They just have to forward it on. um, And that opens them up to have that time to focus on more proactive activities. And, you know, maybe they're related to the job. Maybe they're focusing on spending that time towards building new skills or working on a stress project, um, which ultimately I like because, um, again, bringing it back to keeping your recruiters happy, you know, building their skill sets, building their confidence, all of that. This, this is fantastic. I, first, we, I really like this robotics process automation team. Mario, yeah. I mean, uh, like we're going to have to figure out a way how we're going to build our own robotic process automation team. That just sounds 
it sounds pretty great. I think we need one of those internally. Um, <laughs> I do think we touched on, Rich, we touched on all of my favorite topics. Talk about whiteboarding, talk about automation. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think this is a good place to put a plug in it for now. I'll ask what I think is the easiest question. And that's for people that want to learn a little bit more, reach out. Where can people find you online? I spend an unreasonable amount of time on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. <laughs> All right, perfect. We will link your profile in the show notes. It's been great catching up. Great having you on the episode. And yeah, let's have a great start to 2024. Thank you. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks. All right. Thanks for tuning in. As always, head on over to changestate.io or shoot us a note on all the social media. We'd love to hear from you and we'll check you guys next week. <laughs>